Hello everyone and welcome. This is episode 38 of the Lion Learns to Write podcast and I am your host, Andre Bright. And today I sit with Alex Mechanical Peters um, again for a second time. And um, we basically have a conversation. Obviously, part of identity is race and part of race is having a conversation about it. And we talk about what the barriers to those conversations could be. Um, we are fully in quarantine mode. So this is literally a talk which we had on his Instagram live, which I tried to record. So apologies for the quality. But what we cover, I think, is something that is really important to listen to. So sit back, relax and enjoy. circumstances i appreciate you coming through man so um yeah, let me just kind of formally in- let's, let's just give this guys let's formally introduce andre and just give him some love for making his second return back to the show so you know everyone just run up in here and just, you know make some noise i'm honored <laughs> no but definitely i mean a lot of people when you came on last time a lot of people did say that they wanted to hear more from you and stuff like that so um yeah andre but i mean i've known andre for quite a few years and as we spoke about last time uh andre's been a keen dancer in the scene but one thing that's really stood out about andre he's very proactive about just turning just being a dancer and living your typical life but really moving it forward into creating opportunities for people and really giving back i think andre is a true definition of someone that really and well and truly is active in giving back and being active doesn't always necessarily mean being a troublemaker it just means creating opportunities and giving back and that is that is that's andre right there i appreciate it man that's a nice intro i'm gonna record that Oh man, you know, you know, I'll be watching Sway and trying to get ideas from how because Sway always does the best intros for his artists. Oh, trust me. Yeah. He's got the vibes going, man. It's good. Yeah, he knows how to do it. So this is where I want to. I need to be getting to them levels, the Sway levels. Yeah, we're get, we're all getting there, bro. So let's get there. Hundred percent. Okay, well, well, listen. Um, let me just because I had this stuff written. Yeah, that's it. I had this stuff written down for you because I because I know we've got so much to talk about that we can instantly yeah. go and spend an hour on just one one topic. But I guess we're gonna we're gonna go like this. So we had part one yesterday. Part one was where we were discussing some of the barriers, perceived barriers, trying to I don't know understand, make sense, unpick the challenges that would appear to be within the in the. Uh, wider English community, particularly in the UK, because we live in the UK. But I think what I wanted to maybe present to you is start off by saying to you, as a black person, both individually and from the kind of conversations you've engaged within the black community, what are your observations for um, to, regarding the barriers to discussing racism? Um, I guess, like, as, I think, as you said last time, it the first thing to recognize is that, you know, my narrative isn't everyone's narrative, right? So everyone has their own different story. I have come from my own viewpoint, which I've learned to be very different from just other humans in general. 
Um, yes, just because of where I stand on certain things. Um, I think there are a number of barriers through conversations I've had before. Um, the, the main thing that seems to be um, recurrent for me is just the lack of empathy. And I think we, we've, had, we've had a brief conversation about it before. Mm-hmm. And when, when I say empathy, I mean just in the sense of like, what I often do when I'm in a situation where I feel like um, I'm having a conversation to do with race and it's not landing on ears of someone who generally either cares or wants to or, um, or has any kind of like, oh, this is a human issue as opposed to a black and white issue as well. Um, is that I try and put it in different contexts. And um, so, for example, if we're talking about race and... um, Okay, even if it's talking about um, institutional racism, right? Uh Um, Everyone's experience is different, but often there's hundreds of years, almost thousands of years of history that can often set up an environment when certain things become a pattern. And it can be difficult, like you mentioned just before we went live just now, is that... It can be difficult to acknowledge it if it doesn't happen to you. But for me personally, that's where empathy comes in, where you realize that other people have a different experience of life to you. And the first step is listening to that. Um, And I feel like that that is the first hurdle that often doesn't even get, doesn't even, they don't even reach the hurdle. Yeah, this sure. is obviously not a, not an example of everyone because I've had great conversations about race with with all different races, but the ones sure. where I find that um, it, there have been barriers, the barriers often start there. So even before we get to the concept of what knowledge of history might be, what um, what experiences with individual other black people might have been, or what they see on the news and everything, it's just like this reluctance to. Um, have empathy at a human level. Level. Okay, so like you've talked about this lack of listening. So what does that look like? If I if I said to you describe a situation where you see, okay, this person isn't listening. What does that look like? Because the first in the first reaction might be someone might be thinking. So you mean that when you're speaking about it, people just go, "I'm not listening." So what does it actually look like for you? How does it manifest? Um, okay, so it manifests in different ways. Um, so one of them, for example, might be that um, you, what you just did could be an example. Not going to lie, it can be. It, sometimes it can be even worse than that. But um, more subtle ways can be things like deflection. So, for example, if I'm talking about one thing, they, uh, another issue might be brought up um, that may or may not be directly related to what we're talking about, but it may be a diversion from the actual topic of the conversation, the root of the conversation. Um, it might be a situation where I might say something and it could like wait till the end and then completely change subject, <laughs> yes. especially if something gets uncomfortable, for example. Um, it, may be, it may be something as simple as, or maybe as subtle as asking questions that, you wouldn't necessarily ask if it was a different topic. So, for example, some of the questions you might be asked um, as a black person talking about slavery would not be asked to someone who's a descendant of, um, uh, I don't know, like a, a Jew in Germany who, you know, their grandparents went through all of that, right? So the questions you might ask me 
might be different to the questions you might ask them. And then for me, it's just kind of knowing those, knowing those subtleties. Because you know what they say, like, racism isn't necessarily lynching people in the street anymore. It's a lot more subtle than that nowadays. Um, so for, for me, I find that some of those barriers, when it comes to people not listening, it might be something, and it might be something that you may not even notice unless you're paying attention to. Yes. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, through time, if you consistently have conversations where these little um, sticks, should I say, keep piling up, you get to the point where it becomes a straw on the camel's back and then you have yeah. books like Why I No Longer Talk to White People About Race being released because people have had enough of having those conversations where there's not listening and there's not empathy and there's not like that desire to hear your story just because yes. it doesn't or for whatever reason like sometimes it's because it doesn't match up to what you believe or what you might want to believe for example yeah. or maybe there might be shame or hurt involved in that story as well or just misunderstanding uh, miseducation um, all kinds of stuff there could be all kinds of reasons why um, people wouldn't engage in the conversation past that point it's interesting because um so here's a little story that i expect so you, you like i think one of the things that you mentioned there is that the subtleness of certain things so for example we you know we talk about when in school and in society that we've been conditioned and then in order for people to kind of break free and excel at something we realize that we have to go through this whole unconditioning because we realize that maybe school and society and our parents have taught us bad habits. I also would kind of liken that to sometimes the journey of a black person because what I would say, like growing up in school in the 1990s, one of the things that I was very used to experiencing when people say, because I was always quite sociable, quite polite, not necessarily confrontational, quite accommodating, because I've always was in, interested in, in understanding. But a lot of the times I used to get a comment, do you know what, Alex? You're all right, you know. It's them we don't like. And as a, at the time, at the time, I was, um, I saw it as a compliment, because at the time, I saw this as, okay, well, we're getting somewhere. They're, I'm okay. But it's only as you begin to get older and begin to understand that your conditioning was very much to be very compromising of who you are and don't make trouble don't be the, don't be that guy that has to go up and kind of upset the apple cart just toe the line and go along with it and at the time the education and the lack of knowledge meant that we thought we was doing the right thing it's only when we started to go back and explore certain things we realized no that interaction wasn't okay and we didn't look better so sometimes what can often happen is some people will say why are you only piping up about this now? And it's, re and it's the journey is, is actually realizing that actually, even as a black person, the, the, our, how institu institutionalization has impacted us is that even us, we were very much over accommodating the situation through the fear of upsetting people or putting ourselves in a situation where we had to isolate ourselves. Or even, I think something that you said yesterday is having to choose between speaking up and losing your friends. Mm. Or, you know what I mean it does, that's all the options either I open my mouth and upset people or I just want to keep the friends I've got because I'm not ready to do this alone especially when you're only 13, 14 and 15 yeah and there's a lot of courage involved in that like but it's difficult when you don't have um, the tools to support that conversation so for example nowadays like the me now have a lot more tools in my arsenal to have a conversation like that than the teenage version of me 
Uh, one of the things I find is that when I first moved to UK, because I was born in Sierra Leone, there were a lot of conversations about things I just didn't understand. Um, and I didn't understand why people were talking about the, making these animal noises and talking about huts and all this kind of stuff, because I never saw those things. Um, but now I, I understand where it came from, and I understand it's just that there's a single narrative. As, as um, Chimamanda Ndozi says, like, there's, there's like a danger in a single narrative, and mm-hmm. media has done a really good job in giving a single narrative of Africa, which is often the root of our black story. Um, yeah. And if your narrative of your black story is only 500 years old and it starts in chains, it can be very difficult to... You can find yourself in a situation where you're almost trying to convince someone of your worth or existence, and that yes. can be exhausting. Um, yes. So a lot of the times I think about education as being a source to a lot of these things, but it's not just for us, yeah. it's for everyone. It's like um, having an education of the fuller history, I think, yeah. would be would be an interesting experiment to see what difference that will make in someone's perception of themselves and other people so yeah right okay i feel like because you're opening up something and i want to I, I want to and i and i'm tempted to go down that route and question you there but i'm gonna hold that and we're gonna come back to that now you said um you talked about the fact of this exhausting journey for creating self-worth i mean i'm gonna throw something something at you and i want to tell me tell me what your thoughts are one of the conversations that happens within the black community is the recognition that as black people especially as young people we're focused very much on external attributes we're, we're, we're focused on dressing right looking good um you buy that car with that only piece of money but you only have one light bulb in your house that you have to use for the whole house because you spent all your last change on getting that mercedes benz everything is all about this external value do you think there's something deeper psychological that is going on within the black community's psyche where there's almost like this kind of deep-rooted sense of playing catch-up and the journey is done externally by I've got to dress right, I've got to, I've got to look right, I've got to be seen, I've got to be heard, I've got to make my presence felt. I mean, what's your thoughts around that? I think there's, there's like, a few different levels to that as well, because, I mean, we're not the only one who suffer from that phenomenon. Um, yeah. Like, I find that a lot of the times, if you look o- over the world, there's a lot of situations where poverty, for example, just in general, and for a start, I ain't talking about Africa when I say poverty, I mean poverty in a global sense. That's another psychological thing, right? Um, But just in general, a lot of the times when you have places where um, people want to, people want to have something they can hold on to that is a reflection of a lifestyle that they aspire to have, Um, and it may not even be sometimes that you're trying to show it to someone else. It might be something that you're trying to convince yourself of. Um, But I do feel like there's another level of that which might be acceptance as well Um, and kind of like validation within a situation and I feel like um, some of that can happen when there's shame involved in your home environment for example if it's not something you're proud of if you're not if you if you leave your home estate and you go like um, there's um, George the poet has a performance on uh, Jules Holland and he does this whole thing about the, the, the home he went to and the journey between his house and his school, which was like a really mm-hmm. um, 
a prestigious school and literally seeing how the buildings change during his journey um, and what that um, what effect that has psychologically. But I feel like as well, um, there's there's something in terms of value um, and the things that are, are family are individually in terms of family core unit, but also community based on what we value. Like um, I was from a, um, I'd say middle class background from Sierra Leone, and we value education like through the roof. And you can tell that even if you talk about um, school systems, like we generally excel at early ages, and then it depletes as the um, as the people go through the school system. But then if that happens, then you kind of have this almost like okay, cool. So um, I'm still looking for this idea of success, but education isn't working for me. So without understanding why education isn't working for me, you kind of reach out to what might be a vision of this thing, which might be the cars, it might be the all kind of things. So um, that, that's my humble opinion anyway, in terms of one of the reasons why that could, that could cause that, that phenomenon. But it's no, I don't think it's just necessarily um, tied to just the black community, it's just anyone. But I think that with us, we have that added, added label of also yeah. like the pressure. So, for example, if you're if you walk in and it's, and it's uh, especially in, in in like current events, there's also this pressure to, like you said, you you want to fit in, you want to be, um, you you don't want to be seen as a threat, and and all this kind of stuff. So you try and create this external um, persona where where you live in a certain environment, you speak a certain way, you wear certain clothes, and you do certain things that may not necessarily be your natural element. It's not saying it won't be, um, but I find that there's sometimes a problem when you, you try and build this facade to kind of fit into another um, yeah. criteria when you really could just be yourself, but it would have a different narrative if that was the case. But in, the thing is, I mean, it's, it's so true because I guess what I found, for example, what I was beginning to find in the working world is that often when you talk about certain relationship building, in order to be part of a group, you had to almost find yourself having to adapt to the social cultures in order to be able to um, feel like you're included. And even sometimes, in some cases, where the opportunity to climb up the, la- the ranks happened. So, for example, like I worked in a school, and obviously school, it's a little bit different, but there was a very strong culture, um, a core group of people who went to the pub, and, and maybe you knew the staff gossip if you went to the pub, and you was always in the know, and if there was little staff initiatives, those would be the people that would get to know, and I didn't, do, I didn't go to the pub, because I wasn't interested in that, but because that was my preference, and often culturally, because a lot of black people generally don't do pubs, but just by default, it means that you're missing out on all of this sort of work-type bonding because it's almost done in a certain way, which is more, should I say, more reflective of maybe white UK or white English culture, but it doesn't really reflect where I'm coming from. But just because of that, I lose out, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's an interesting point, actually, and what I've considered before, I can't remember if we spoke about it, before, but mm-hmm. that's a really good example of that assimilation, I guess. Right. Um, but I think for me, in that scenario, my equivalent is trying to find ways that I can still be me in those spaces. So, for example, if sure. I don't like beer, I won't have beer. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, 
I might have a Cavorsier if that's more <laughs> if that's more me. Do you know what I mean? No, I mean really because like so for example back back home we I mean apart from Guinness is spirits. Yeah. People don't really Cherryonians we don't really do beers and stuff. And if that's yeah, if that's probably. the case then maybe that's the way to find some kind of compromise. But again, regardless of what it is, you got to be strong within your own your own route and be like this is what this is who I am. This is what I like. And sometimes you have to be willing to lose those people if that's the case, unfortunately, um, as, as a collateral to being yourself. Um, and again, if you put it in the context of having conversations, um, if you're not in the spaces, the conversations might not happen in the first place. But then there's also, I don't know if, if this is working, but also there's the psychological thing of having to have conversations in "Quote unquote," their environment. Yes. So, um, it's it's if if it's a situation where you, it's like, for example, the conversations I've had are very rarely in black spaces with this scenario. Like, so yes. make, that could be down to us, like being, um, you know, having spaces where it's like inviting people to to have that conversation. Um, I definitely feel there's there's a space for black people to have the conversation amongst ourselves, white people to have the conversation amongst them, themselves, and then like a space in between where both can, can get involved. But it's just that for me, the, the conversations I've had with white people are either just one-on-one on one or me in their yeah. spaces where I'm outnumbered. Yeah. And I feel like yeah. I'm representing the entire race. And there's yes. a lot of pressure in that. Because it's yeah. like you say something and you're like, oh my gosh, they think that's the representation of all black people. Um, yeah. And it's like that weight involved in it. Okay, so let's talk about that because I think that's a very strong point there. Now, I mean, when we were speaking yesterday, you said about one of the things that you touched on, which I thought was very profound and, and, and very true, I agree with you, is speaking about the exhaustion within the community. And I guess I wanted to kind of explore a little bit with that with you. When people are exhausted, what sort of narratives do you hear? So, for example, you know, one of the things that with all, all of what's been unfolded in America, one of the things that you're really beginning to see coming up more, all on social media, be it, so it's not necessarily people that I've met, but you see the comments, why do they hate us? What have we done? What have we done in history to warrant this sort of behavior? Can I pick your brain a little bit to talk about some of the narratives that starts to unfold within the black community? That again, we are having these conversations in our, amongst ourselves, but not necessarily going out. Mm -hmm. I think I think really it's for me it's time. Like uh, there's an interview with James Baldwin and he's he's being interviewed by someone and he's like so maybe and the interviewer is basically alluding to the concept that maybe for us to get to this stage of what we're looking for as, as a community and white and black community as well is more time and James Baldwin's reaction is that how much time do you need? Our grandparents have died waiting for this thing like. Thousands of people have died in the civil rights uh, movement waiting for this. Um, it came to his parents and now him. Like, so we're hundreds of years down the line waiting for time. Like, generations are dying within this, going through the same cycle of different versions of this narrative. How much time do you need? Um, yeah, and I feel like... When was that like, interview? What, what, what year was that? Was that in the 70s? Uh, yeah, somewhere around then. Um, it was it was towards the later part of his life as well. Um, and you can see the exhaustion in his face as well, even while he's having that conversation. But I feel like that, that feeling is one of them. So it's like all this stuff with um, 
the recent shooting, shootings, for example, um, we were having the same dialogue, same conversations years ago. Like there was a whole thing where it got to the point where it was exhausting waking up every morning and seeing new hashtags. And yeah, like, and then you, you, you get to the stage where you're having these conversations and you're met with, yeah, but da-da-da-da-da, or yeah, but da-da-da-da-da. Like, so for example, even with this, um, with, the, with the Aubrey case, it's like, maybe if he just stood still, or maybe yeah. if he hadn't, whatever. And the conversation I had yesterday brought a good point. It's like, would you stand still if there were two people with guns pointed at yeah. you in a street yeah. who weren't yeah. showing themselves as police officers? So in a in an area where you're not, you might may or may not be familiar. I know with me, yeah. if two people who weren't dressed as cops, for example, and even if they were dressed as cops, if you're unarmed, <laughs> yes. and two people yes. point a gun at you. I, yeah. I would think, be thinking to myself, how can I get out of this situation? That's right. Standing there yeah. may not be the one. But then, yeah. um, again, uh, one of the things I said to you last time as well is is trying to put a different lens on it by changing the, um, the details of the story and seeing how that changes the empathy level. So, for example, if it had been uh, a white woman and two black men um, with guns, would the reaction of the people be the same if it was yeah. um if it was just switched if it was a, a white man and two black men would it have yeah. been the same outcry would it have been the same yeah. defense i saw an interview yeah. recently where the guy filming it was actually said he was filming it in defense of the two who were going after um uh, going after him basically it's saying crazy, right? like, yeah which is nuts so it's like um and again, it's just like an eye-opener of where we actually are within this conversation, yeah. um, that we haven't actually got that far in yes. terms of mentality. Like, obviously, yes. legislations and things might have changed, but when you start looking at the mentality of people, maybe we haven't got that far at all. Um, and that can be exhausting. It's like, um, it's to the point where now people are literally within the, our communities having conversations where we're afraid to have children because yeah. we don't know what they're going to be facing, specifically yeah. males, you see these yeah. kind of things happening. What happens yeah. if you give birth to someone who turns out to be like a six-foot um, something, and whether he's a gentle giant or not, people see a threat when they see him come in. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, you know, all of that. So it's, it's difficult, but having these conversations and then being met with, yeah, but it's, you're exaggerating, or, um, you know... Um, well, I had a couple of quotes here for you, so I'm glad that you said that. And um, and what I just want to add to that before that is I think it's stressing the fact that I, I've often said to people um, from other communities who are interested in understanding the story, I said, look, don't be fooled. And I, say, I use the word fooled, maybe that isn't the right word, but don't, don't get distracted by the fact that as black people we're very animated all of these sorts of rationales and all of these sorts of um, quotes that gets thrown as a, as a sense of um, counteracting. What's your experience of this and what's your thoughts around all of the, what I've just said there, if you if you got what I said? Um, I, I, will, I will guess and put the pieces together. <laughs> but, um, okay, I can't. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's all good. Um, in terms of the counteracting, it's, um, I feel like, okay, so I feel like if, this is where, for me, it goes back to empathy. Because I think there's a space to, to challenge narratives, right? So mm -hmm. 
I think it's good when people give you a question enough for you to think. But I feel like there's you can feel intention. Right. And I think I feel like the problem is when there you can feel that the intention is not to understand and it's not to um, find some kind of um, resolve or anything like that. The ten the intention is just to break down your argument. So I feel when when that's the case, that's that's the that's a, that's one of the parts that can bring um, real kind of um, destruction to the individual who's not just dealing with their own self emotionally going through um, that narrative, but then also now being in a platform where they're also being um, destroyed in terms of their validation or even their right to feel or anything as well. So I feel like there's there's all kinds of different levels. And I I feel like on on the part of the person who's who's doing the challenge, but I'm going to say it's challenging um, just to be, you know, PC about it or whatever. Um, I think it's sometimes just from a space of ignorance as well. And it's like, if if there's like, there's different levels of that. So there's miseducation. So it's like, this doesn't fit with what I've been told. Mm-hmm. what I currently believe. And then there's a point of, okay, I know part of what this is. Maybe it could be, but surely it couldn't be real nowadays. Mm-hmm. Or maybe surely it couldn't be the case in UK or whatever that conversation may be. And then there's a situation where um, people do know and they know full well what is going on in the world, but they will challenge you anyway. And I've, I've seen mm. three of those kind of manifest themselves. And and I feel like people are just sick of it. Um, and similar to what you were saying at the, at, at the earlier start, you've got the one side where, um, uh, let's say, for example, a white person might be exhausted with trying to have the conversation and feeling like they're getting rejected when they genuinely want to know. But then you're sure. on that side where they're exhausted of having the emotional um, trauma of reliving these experiences. And there's, a, there's also the idea of collective trauma. Like you don't necessarily need to be the person on the blunt end of the situation for you to That's see right. it. That's so right. when you see your brothers and sisters across the water experiencing something, you too feel um, involved. And that's why people, if someone's getting kidnapped or something in... Um, a terrorist attack in, I don't know, some random place in the world. Well, man in the camp. Exactly. Just because it wasn't your daughter didn't mean you felt felt for her. Just because it wasn't... Even the thing thing for me that is, that can get kind of um, frustrating, I guess, or, or maybe just, maybe just something I noticed, let's just say that, is that when it's the other way around, I'm not going to blanket it because I've seen examples of otherwise, but I feel like if there's something that's happening in the news to white people, black people will have empathy towards that story. Mm-hmm. Um, like we are open to having conversations about it. We'll, we'll console the person. We'll be like, oh my gosh. But at the same time, though, if it's a white person, it doesn't become become a white story. Sure. But if it's a black person, it happens to it becomes a black story, and then people yeah. choose whether they're going to be a part of that conversation or not that way. Yeah. And I don't know 
I can guess what that is, but it's um it's just something I've noticed. Like if some if yeah. if there's a white person who experiences something, everyone's involved. If it's a black person who experiences something, black people are involved. Yeah, it's just a blanket thing. But you, you know, what I'm, I'm trying to get at. No, I, I I get it because the thing is, like, um, one of the narratives that I observed, um, particularly leading up towards uh, uh, the Brexit and Remain, there was a lot of local unrest and a lot of localized protest. I know there was a few incidents of um, police brutality and mistreatment of uh, certain black individuals, and there was starting to be uh, an uprising of narrative from the locals, from local lads in my area on social media who were saying, see, look at these savages, look at these animals, they act like this, they bring all this behaviour over, and this is why they're getting themselves into a situation. And it was really fascinating that that narrative was really being fueled. And even for, even for people who actually are maybe not even, that have the best intentions, it's so easy to get caught up in that sort of narrative because it's almost like, well, based on what I see, this person has a point. So the question, I guess, that it makes me feel is, the question I'd want to put out there is, what is not being seen that would allow you to just come with such a blanket statement like this? So, for example, if you have two uh, white males, one's killed the other person in some kind of a a gang fuel, a a gang feud, you don't then use that as a point of reference to create some narrative across the whole white community. However, when um, it comes to the other way around, and I think even as black people, even myself, I've been guilty in this because of the conditioning, then you start to say, we're not helping ourselves. And it's almost like, well... No, this has nothing to do with an already existing situation. Like, this isn't necessarily, this shouldn't compromise what is going on. You know, this is what's happening here, and this is what's happening here. Don't, don't, don't almost try to put a logic to say, okay, guys, you're not helping the situation. Mm. That's just saying. And it's like, well, no, that, that doesn't, what just happened on in E14 doesn't explain what happened two years, 200 years ago when you paid 17 billion pounds to pay off all the slaves. Like, let's, let's keep these issues very separate. Do you, do you understand? And just to correct that as well, they didn't pay off the slaves, but the slave masters. I mean, sorry, the slave masters, sorry, that's what I mean. Yes, yes, yes. It's completely right what you said, and I, and I think because Akala said that to Pierce on some Monday uh, some, uh, morning TV show where okay. they were talking about knife, knife crime, yeah. and um, and Akala was basically saying, I find it interesting that um, when these things happen, you'll bring someone who's black to explain the behaviour of, right. of yes. who are actually... If you look at it statistically, a very specific age group, a very specific experience who would um, engage in that kind of thing, but you get any black person to explain their behavior. Whereas if we were talking about pedophilia, who happened to be Middle East white men, you wouldn't necessarily get people to explain or defend all of um, the pedophile's behaviors. Um, And it's, and it's, Sometimes, like I said, it's like for me, it goes back to taking it out of changing the details and seeing if there's consistency in the behaviour. Yes. It's yes. Like if if you're gonna do if you're gonna act this way to this person or this story and not this story, why is that different? Yes. Um, and 
for me, I just find the answers to that can be quite interesting. For me, sometimes it boils down to education, sometimes it boils down to experiences. Um, and, oh no, what is black on black crime during this conversation? I don't understand the question. my sister. Oh, okay, cool. What has black on black crime yeah. during? I think, I think what she's asking is maybe what's the statistics for this, or has there been a conversation about that during this time? Yeah, and the thing is, black and white crime, it happens, but so does white on white crime, so does any on any crime. And I think um, it's statistically, there's there's very little difference in um, in statistics of those things. Um, sure. So, for example, if you look at any community, usually people get killed or whatever based on who is around them. And often sure. people live with people who look like them, and which is sure. why you'd have people in... Communities. I think, again, um, on that same interview with the Carla, he was pointing out the Glasgow riots and everything like that. And you, ne- you wouldn't necessarily think of, because there was a period of time where there was knife crime and, and that didn't necessarily become a, a, a national explanation. Um, yes. With regards to the actual crime, though, um, for me, questions like that or terms like that, I always push back with which other communities have a term like that attached to them. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and again, going down that road, I often ask, who do you think created that term? And why do you think they needed that term to exist? Because every word in, in history has been created for a reason. So who yeah. created the term black on black crime? And why do you think they needed it to exist? And then maybe that can give some insight into why, how the term can be used and why it's still around today. Um, I think there is an element of, of like responsibility that we have within our own communities, our homes. To we wow. we need a lot of healing. We need a lot of education. Um, I feel like we need a lot of building of our own institutions and um, all those kind of things. But I think in a context of a diaspora where we are in a, an environment which is um, a wise woman once said, "You can com- you can claim anywhere you stand." Mm-hmm. But in the moment, it can be very difficult when you're in uh, a space which isn't, which you you don't get the impression it's designed for you. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but in the in those spaces, like when it comes to the conversation, it it can be difficult to to maintain, especially if you've got to you've all of a sudden got to be the representative of everyone. Well, I'll share a, a quick story with you on that. Now, um, so we had a funeral in our, in our street. So I've lived in my area all my life. Um, when I was younger, it was a very white working class area. On my street, I believe it was, and my sister, she's here, she can maybe fill in. Right, I think there was probably three black families on our street, one on our road and one further down the road. And so the area itself was known to be racist. And in terms of the gangs, it was a very... We know a lot of, if you think about like the craze and that sort of stuff, it was the, the next level down, it was the grandparents, the grandchildren of those sorts of people who would have moved out, settled down with and started their families and then obviously come 90s and early 2000s moved further out to Essex and Kent. Anyway, so that area, at the time growing up, it was a very white working class area. The shift in terms of cultural diversity on mass started to happen towards the late 90s and and in 2000 it really boomed. Anyway, working in my area, I worked in my school, local school, for about eight and a half years. I became very well known. I did a lot of work with young people. So from 2000, probably up till now, but particularly I'll say 2000 to 2010, 2012, I was extremely well known. 
because I've done right. so much work with the kids and the parents. However, this funeral that took place was of a lady who I grew up knowing her family and and all the families that were around. So because she passed away, she moved to Kent, but as part of the ritual, they decided to bring the body back to where she used to live, which was opposite my house, which meant it brought a lot of the old school heads that I hadn't seen since the 80s come back right. to the area. So outside my house, we had up to about 200 people gathering. I wow. said to my mum, I felt vulnerable in the way that I used to. Even though right now I'm a well-known person, you know, people know me, my, my name goes around the young people. But at that point, the 1980s version of myself, which was always very wary about the people around me, started to come back up. So I'm saying that point to say that people have to understand that the trauma of somebody, be that black or anybody, will mean that your intellect may have progressed. But the challenges and the feelings that are conjured up are much more deeper. So if you're put in a situation, it will go much more beyond your intellect to operate. So in my intellect, yeah, I mean, I'm doing stuff and, you know, I've done amazing stuff that I'm proud of. But actually, the 1980s version of myself came out just because I was there. I felt like, oh, God, this is how I felt back then. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's very deep rooted. And I guess that's probably one of the most difficult things to bring to someone's attention unless you've experienced that in some other shape, way or form. Yeah, and I feel like another element of it is just being open. Like, you mentioned effectively unlearning earlier on, like, deconstructing what you know um, to be able to kind of, like, put on a a new narrative. And I feel like if you were to to tell that story to someone else, they might be like, so why do you feel like that? I mean, you know, it's a funeral. Do you know what I mean? It's they're not there for you and all this kind of stuff. But I, I feel like a conversation like that would only happen with someone who doesn't have the empathy to look at the bigger picture. Because a lot of the time, what we experience isn't even necessarily just our experience. Um, yes. And when I, when, I, when I talk about this kind of stuff, people are sometimes like, ah, oh, mate, you're going into this, this like higgity-biggity stuff. But um, yeah. you definitely carry trauma from your ancestors. And I, that's what it's, it's, it's scientific. So in a sense, yes. if you're talking about data that's passed down with chromosomes, what a lot of people who would have never seen a spider before are arachnophobic because of experience predecessors have had with, with spiders, right? So you don't necessarily need to wait until you're bitten for you to be like, okay, cool, I'm not cool in this situation. In the same way, there might be something about a scenario where there's a gathering of people which triggers something within you that you may not even be, be able to explain, even that may be even more deeper rooted than your experience. Uh, in that scenario you're not just thinking about the experience you had you're also thinking about things you know about world history and what happens in these events and so um, it can be difficult to to navigate that but then you're always for me I find it's difficult when you're trying to justify it to yourself and be like oh no you know I'm overacting all that kind of stuff it's like no this is how you feel acknowledge it this is how you feel you know what I mean look deep into that and find out what the root of that is because there is sometimes we can give an idea of where the healing kind of needs to start individually. But yeah, I think it's a strong point, and I think you know we're living we're living in a society we're living in an era, but particularly in northern north northwestern Europe, where academia is what rules, 
And so academia is all about stats. And the problem with stats is although it can provide some sort of evidence and some sort of explanation, it's only two-dimensional. It doesn't explain this deeper traumatic experience. So it just deals with numbers and actual tangible situations. And unfortunately, there's an arrogance in an academia world where it's almost like if there isn't a stat, if if this isn't tangible and I can't put a stat to it, then it doesn't exist. And the danger with that narrative is, is that the people that are in power that have the most influence to condition and to kind of dictate where society runs work from this place. So empathy and things of that nature is often seen as weak and it doesn't necessarily fit in terms of the rat race. The rat race is all about go, get, chase, achieve, and it's all tangible base. You know what I mean? And if you have some intellect, to me, intellect is just... if. if it has two potentials. It has a it has an ability for you to begin to understand something higher, but also it can also be, which I believe for many people, is just data that you use as jargon to get you to blank this race. Mm. And I've been in many situations where with intellect where they would use things that are actually opinion but cloud them as facts. And that is another danger. So the actual conversation I had when I mentioned um, talking about the root of the black on black crime term, mm-hmm. with with a white guy, and sure. he was he was spurting out what quote unquote statistics, but then he obviously just didn't realise that I knew those statistics too. So right. once I put the statistics into context, then he didn't have a leg to stand on in that conversation. But if I didn't yeah. know the statistics and read the same papers that he did. I may not have had the the count of what he was saying. And in those scenarios, it can be really frustrating if someone is speaking to you with something that um, is is clouded in in what seems to be fact or stats and stuff. And it's it's difficult because they're like, oh, how could this be your experience? 90-something percent of blah-blah-blah-blah, blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah. And then I may not even consider the actual context of what those statistics are built on. What happens if the statistics are written by people who only have a very small um, uh, pool of people and those pool of people don't look like you in the first place? Or they're only people of a certain class or certain educational background or anything like that, which can skewer those things. Like for me, whenever whenever it comes to the idea of truth, truth is really just a narrative. Um, and once you start digging into the, the foundation of that, there's often holes. And it's not necessarily something that you necessarily break down that truth, but it's just that it helps you give a fuller understanding of why that truth exists the way it does, um, yeah. which can help actually to build those conversations as they go forward. Um, yeah. mm, okay, so I guess the question I want to put to you now is because I think what's what's... Ideally, what seems to be, well, I guess I've always felt this for a while, but I guess coming from this conversation, there is almost like a kind of a very strategic avoidance to want to not engage on a deeper level. And there's probably loads of reasons for it. I mean, like we've said at the very beginning, not caring. I personally kind of um, feel that there's something strong about this whole idea of, especially if we're talking about... um, uh, Academia seems to be what people drive towards as a kind of 
as a stamp of approval for for or as a as a mark of authority to engage in a conversation. What I'm finding, particularly in the working class communities, is when engaging, it's now become into this political atmosphere, where particularly triggered by Brexit and Remain thing, people are moving into um, lefties. Oh, you lefty! So if you start speaking about inclusion, you're a lefty. And as far as people are concerned, lefties are what got us into trouble. We need we need someone from the right wing who has clear boundaries, and therefore we won't get ourselves into trouble. Um, so, for example, they would say that it was lefties that were too accommodating. Now we've got this immigrant problem. So now we want to, you know. So I guess what I'm saying is, how do we move forward? You know, both as a black community, but what maybe sorts of expectations would you expect from the white community? Um, I think it's just, I mean, someone said it earlier on, it's, it's educate, self-education and that kind of desire to, like, if you, if you for those who do care, um, find out. There's loads of spaces which are actually quite open um, and it's obviously like that risk of, it, of rejection and stuff, but genuinely there are a lot, uh, are a lot of spaces that welcome um, everyone and because a lot of this knowledge is for everyone it's, it's history at the end of the day like no one goes into school and they're told oh you're black sorry you can't learn about 1066 it's for everyone um and the reason why i say that is because once you do that you, you get a fuller version of history it's like if if we and i i actually think if if people gave the fuller version of history it would be, actually be more interesting because in history sure. itself is interesting already but having the fuller version it's like look at the contributions that the Asians did to um, this and uh, for example the Nigerians to mathematics their contributions yes. to how we use numbers and everything like yes. if, you, if you thought about these kind of things it can add to your vantage point um, yes. but in terms of in terms of having the spaces just learn about those things like actually seek but then once you get into a space where you're having the conversation and this is the white people I'm talking about um, for allies if you will um, once you get into a space where you're speaking to someone, um, is educate them as well. Share what you know. So, like, sure. if you like, for example, with me, it's the same thing. If I find someone who's really feeling a certain way about um, white people, I'll be like, I'll be asking them questions like, why do you feel like this, or do you know that's yeah. based on something that isn't actually true? And sure. when was the last time you spoke to a certain? But like, I remember having a conversation with someone once. Um, with this white um, guy and he was like oh you know I, I, I don't really like black people I'm quite scared of him I was like oh so why it's like, are, you, are you scared of me and he's like no you're cool and he's like okay so what other black people do you know and he's like oh it's just really you and this person across the street and I'm like okay so describe them and he's like oh they're lovely and all that kind of stuff I was like okay so what other black people have you met and he's like I haven't really met them because this was like when I was in the sticks and I, I was like so you're basing what are you basing this fear on if it's not experiences like the all the experiences you've had have been 100 percent good but you were yeah. talking about a fear which for me is quite a strong emotion um like if if for example you have someone who is well traveled or cultured and you find a situation where okay so you find out all this new information share it like knowledge shared knowledge doubled for me yeah yeah and, and it's opportunity to change those mindsets and to see things from a different vantage point um yeah. right now we're talking about individual conversations and having a space where 
people feel like they're trying to get to a space where there's less barriers to at least have these conversations because without these conversations it's difficult to build some kind of healing for both sides because yes. I know there are people who are uh, scared to have these conversations they they feel shame about what their their predecessors have done and so they they feel like there's a lot of guilt when they're going into these scenarios and sometimes yeah. people shoot off the other end and there's like um, okay I have to do something about it and sometimes that can manifest itself in other problems and, and it's kind of like I know there's like a navigation in terms of finding like a sweet center where where you acknowledge what has happened before but you also um, take responsibility for what you can do but you don't necessarily shoot the mark and, and think that you're some kind of savior at the same time yeah, sure. I, I know I understand that that kind of like tightrope um, can happen, but I, I genuinely feel like having these spaces where people can share those actual experiences and those thoughts can lead to a space where we can. Because I guess even thinking a feeling will come before talking, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. At that point where you are talking, is to have that space. So if if anybody, I suggest, if anybody has someone around them who you feel you can have these conversations with, start having them. Yeah. And just be open to you, like, you can't go into those conversations not being open to have your mind change them. It's like, if I would, if me, I think I said to you before as well, um, I obviously don't know what it's like to be a woman. Yeah. I can read up about it all I like and have conversations, but I'll never know what it's like to be a woman. And every time I speak to a woman, there'll be something else that, I'll be like, oh my gosh, I never really considered that. And that's yeah. because I'm not a woman, I haven't lived it um, in the same way, which means I've got to be open to there being experiences that I may not even consider or might be opposite to my experience. Like every time I'm traveling alone, there might be some other counter to that if I looked different. In the same way, yeah, sure. if, if a black and white person speaking about their experiences, you've got to be open to the concept that there might be another narrative that you're not prepared for sometimes. Yeah. You might find out something else that you specifically have done that have hurt somebody. And then the point at that point is that whether you intended to or not, you acknowledge that you hurt them. As opposed to being like, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> like, get over it. And, and, and this is why the whole education of self is so important, because I feel like when you enter into these spaces, like when you said about taking time to understand the journey of a woman, there comes a place when you have to accept that there's a certain space in this conversation where I just don't have really any authority to have an opinion because I just don't know. So, for example, if we're going to talk to an astronaut about what is it like to go into a sp to space and what was it like to look at the, the planet Earth, at that point, I need to keep quiet because if the highest I've only been is upstairs on the bus, I can't get engaged in this conversation. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I have to yeah. keep, and I just have to start, just get my pen out and start taking notes and humble myself. So there's a few things that I think comes in terms of challenging ourselves when having these conversations. One of the things that I do recognise is there is a, a relationship, a very two-dimensional relationship with the concept of game, um, of shame and guilt. Mm. And I understand that it's not a positive space to be in, but mm. it is part of the emotional spectrum. It's there. Um, Everything is about duality, so in order to experience positive, you have to experience negative, otherwise you wouldn't know what positive is. Um, there's also an aspect of when you're into these arenas, it's about trusting that even though I'm not in control, I'm happy to walk on this journey and be educated. So for example, I walk into a museum, I don't really know what I'm going to be told, but I trust that I'm going to get an education. 
in fact, yeah. we go on a ghost train. We go in there to get scared, but at the same time, we're touching onto an emotion that actually is not a comfortable space, but we trust it so much that we'll pay £25 to go and do it all day long. So it's about finding that space where people can mutually feel safe to be afraid, lose control, be vulnerable, and have the sorts of conversations that actually, like a, like a fun favorite, like a theme park ride, you'll get your moment of being scared, but you're going to get off at the end and, and just carry on with your day. And I think as well is to look at it as an opportunity, because these opportunities, right. these these situations are, 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 like I said, an opportunity for you to learn of a different narrative that exists. So, for example, if I was to, um, I love what your analogy with space. I think that's a great illustration yeah. because yeah. you can. A lot, most of us have never been to space, right? right. I know I have. Yes. So. Um, in that scenario, if we were to carry on with that analogy, and you got the opportunity to speak to a astronaut, mm-hmm. you would listen yes. for a start. You would listen. You might question. You might ask more probing questions, but you wouldn't say, "No, that didn't happen," or you wouldn't say, um, "You must be over exaggerating." You wouldn't say um, anything like that because you've got nothing to to like to like counter with. So all you, like the, the concept, you're, you're aware of the concept that even something like gravity isn't something that's the same rule over there, yes. right? So you, you would be open to, the, to be learning new things. You'd be listening intently and you'd be asking questions. But I feel like that same level of um, uh, intrigue, that same level of um, curiosity isn't necessarily always... Um, found among these conversations um yeah and and it's and i think it's a shame when i was talking about opportunities i genuinely feel like um having these conversations is is a chance for us to um like i'm a culture head and i think i had a conversation with you before where i think that the term black and white can be quite destructive in the first place because it's so encompassing and um, even if we look at again I'm, I'm big on definitions and if you look at yes. why those words exist you maybe right. that they're definitely filling out their full of potential right now um, yeah. so divisiveness yeah so it, if you were to and funnily enough it's, it's devices divisiveness clouded as unity so That's by right. grouping everyone into one term you're actually splitting them apart but I, um, I remember saying to you, um, what happens when you get rid of those terms and you find other ways to define your identity? And I think that's sure. actually a, uh, a stronger state of conversation. So, for example, if, we're, if I'm having a uh, conversation with someone who's actually Scottish, let's have a conversation about me being Sierra Leonean and you being Scottish. Yeah. Let's find out about what our cultures are, because yeah. white isn't a culture, black isn't a culture. That's right. Yeah. Neither of my cultures. So, um, if you, if you were to look at what you can learn from that conversation, what you're actually talking about is is a generalization. And if we're talking about the narratives, it can be um, it can be difficult. It's like it's like every, everyone has that. Like I think I said to you before, like <laughs> it, I don't know everything about rap. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like there's yeah. some situations where I actually really enjoy Disney. Like I've actually got the yeah. Disney Plus subscription. But if someone sees right. you watching Hercules, you wouldn't you wouldn't think that of your idea of what uh what an African would do. But that's because it's more of it. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. 
it's true. Yeah, and, and again, going back to it, I genuinely think if it's an opportunity, like sometimes, like, I would, I think, I can't remember if it was you I was talking to, but I used to have this space where it was a religious conversation we, like, we, we had. Yeah, yes. religion was going to be a really touchy conversation. And I was blessed to be in this circle because there was Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, um, Sikh, and atheism involved in this. And we just talked. And there wasn't any kind of like, oh, I'm destroying you or I'm countering your, your thing. It was just we were all genuinely curious as an opportunity to learn about our different cultures and ways of thinking. And it wasn't like we went in there to prove that mine is superior. It wasn't that mine is the right way or anything like that. We were just losing it as an opportunity to learn. And I feel like part of getting to the stage where we can talk, is having that open curiosity to be like, this yeah. is not an opportunity to learn about something new. Yeah. Um, that we don't always feel. Yeah. And I, and I think to add to what you're saying there, I think you're right. I think it's a very, um, very um, interesting and powerful way to look at learning. I would also say, so for example, even with the analogy of the astronaut, I would also say that with learning about uh, astronomy, there's a low risk factor. So if I learn something about this, this kind of field of knowledge, there's no impact on who I am. It's just extra knowledge. And I think, unfortunately, the condition of society has meant that our relationship with certain emotions is being tainted. So we're being taught to run away from certain emotions that are part of the everyday life experience and we only want to experience some so for example if you look within and it's not just exclusive to the white community but one of the things that often is quite prominent is the relationship with drink um it's often misused as it's as, as it's known even though it's not necessarily always put on the mainstream news we know it so it's misused and if you look at the whole idea around drink is mentalities having a good time, I can't have a good time unless I'm off my face, I'm plastered. So there's a whole culture of suppress, suppressing of emotions. So you almost have to almost unpack that phenomena. It's almost like a, unpack that ethos of, of suppressing things that are deemed to be bad because then essentially when we get into these sorts of deeper arenas, which will kind of evoke all these negative emotions that in society you're taught to run away from, if you had a new relationship with it, then maybe people would be more willing to engage with it. Even if it was just dipping two toes in the water, you might do it because I think at the moment people feel like there's too much risk in this. If I walk into this arena, I'm going to walk out feeling this big crap and that's it. It's no longer about new knowledge now. It's just it's me feeling small. So I think that's almost been a miseducation that's been pushed into society, which then makes our conversations harder because what you would find is to avoid, people would say and use whatever whatever ration is necessary to avoid. So in the end, someone comes across as extremely heartless because it's almost like, why can't you see? This is obvious. But actually, what they're trying to keep away from is they don't want to enter into that guilt arena. Mm. In the same way that... Sorry, go on. In the same way that... No, go on. Now I'm saying that that guilt arena is, is like a huge arena for them. Like it's it's um, yeah. and I completely get that the risk, but um, at yeah. and and I have that in different conversations. So like my equivalent might be um, going into an arena where we're talking about the way men treat women today. Sure. Yeah, you know what I mean. So if I was to go like, but I would, but me as an individual, I would walk into that. 
because I'm one day I might have a daughter, I have a mother, I have you know sisters, I have aunts, aunts, I have cousins, all that kind of stuff who might be going through the experiences. So I want to know so that I can um, understand the situation better. But then you know what? Those spaces, I will shut up. <laughs> like, like I would, I would, like I, and I say that because I've been in those arenas where. Like, I've gone into spaces where those conversations are happening, and I genuinely see it as an opportunity. And yes, there's risk, and yes, there's guilt. Um, and yes, it can sometimes shine a light on things that I may have done that I realize now what effect that might have had on someone else. Um, yes. But you've also, um, honestly, you've got to think to yourself, is my guilt more important than their pain? Also, exactly. that's, and that's the line right there. Is my guilt more important than their pain? I think that's a very powerful line right there, Andre. Yeah, because I feel like if you were to if you were to put measuring skills, then that can put things in perspective. It's like, for example, having a conversation about race, and you walk away, and it's like, yeah, cool, but I don't get to do that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like your 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 guilt may be during this conversation, but tomorrow you'll forget about this conversation. That's right, and we won't. I don't get to forget about being black in a situation where things like the news keep reminding me and statistics keep reminding me and all this kind of stuff keeps reminding me. Yeah. Um, and then you have your own experiences when you get pulled over or anything like that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so for me, that, that's one of the things that kind of boils down to. Um, and again, like what, one of the things as well is, is you, you, it's, it's not about you in that moment. You're not the center. So, and I say that you is in like me being, again, I'm, I'm, my equivalent is, is, is the male-female conversation. So it's like when I'm in that space, I am not the center of this conversation. That's why you're not in control and you have to accept that dynamic. Exactly. And it's like, I think there's, there's, a, there's a problem when, um, when we go into, and when I say we, I mean the royal we, whatever that we may be, go into a space where you're not talking about we, but I bring we into the conversation as the source, especially when the yeah. source is the problem. Yes. So, like, there's a lot, there's a lot of conversations around, um, and I was privy to this, like, doing my women's empowerment up in Sierra Leone, um, mm -hmm. I realized that a lot of my stuff was focusing on the women, and the women aren't the problem. Right, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, when, yeah. when you're in those cases, it's like, I've got to be like, okay, cool, and it's, it's an opportunity, opportunity for me to check myself and what my approach is and be like, you know what, let me let me step back from a second and listen to what your your experience is because, like I said before, no matter how many books I've read, no matter, no matter how many people I've spoken to, when I wake up, those things are not on my mind. Absolutely. This you know is I mean? not an yeah. This is not an academic experience, and that's the thing right there. Um, it's not an academic. This is a life. It's felt. It's lived. It's experienced, and it's and yeah. And the interpretations are. And again, not to be fooled with. And I was using sorry to use a strong analogy, but having worked in a young, in a in a school, when you when you work with young people who've maybe been sexually abused. They're not going to walk around with a very humble, meek, victim card. They may be difficult. They may be angry. They may not form good relationships. They may be sexually prom promiscuous. So they're doing things that are not helping the situation. They're unteachable. They don't get on with groups. But essentially, it's hurt. Yeah. And, so, and people understand that. Do you know what I mean? Yes. That's, that's, that's yes. what's meant. It's like, yes. let's say, for example, we had that scenario 
and to be fair, actually, I take you saying that I've seen I've seen really horrible conversations where they don't understand that as well. But like overall, if if you yeah. speak to someone who's experienced something like that, and then you find out that that's the reason, because all behavior, behavior is communication at the end of the day. Some may yeah. express it one way, some may express it another way. But once you find out it, you know, you would kind of expect there to be like, oh, okay, I I get it. Well, not even like hundred percent get it, but at least now it kind of makes sense where this might be. But this yes. is now an area that I don't know about. I haven't experienced that. So I have to take it with a pinch of salt. It's like, okay, cool. You might be screaming at me or you might not want to be touched or you might want, you know, all this kind of stuff. But the reason is now I understand it's because of this. And now I'm, I have that information. I can, I can actually help you heal by abiding by your, your boundaries. Do you know what I mean? So I can, Absolutely. I can help you feel safe by creating that space where you can actually come to me and share more about your story. And because you know that, I will, that I'm empathetic, that I'll try my best to put myself in your shoes. I will try and kind of imagine what it might have been like. And then later on, I might act accordingly. And do you know what, it's it's funny that you said about the help because I think this is where shame and guilt is a lie, it's an illusion, it's an egotistical um, emotion because the thing is, well no, maybe that isn't, maybe that last bit, maybe might not be true, I don't know, I need to think about that a little bit more, it came out, but like, um, the thing is, fear and guilt tells us it's a threat, it's dangerous, we need to get out of it, but actually when you're in that situation, so I had a, a long conversation with a white friend of mine, he told me some things he said he'd never said before and he found it incredibly difficult, but we spent about a good hour and a half, we talked through some things and at the end he said he was really nervous, he was trembling and he was almost tearful and one thing I said to him is what you've done tonight is extremely powerful because you've listened and you've made yourself vulnerable and I said to him you don't know how important that is for me to see you do that so actually in the end there's something powerful about lending your air being willing to be vulnerable and then walking away from that and thinking do you know what I was part of that process but most of the time most people miss out on that end goal because they're too focused on this here and now which is temporary Mm. And you know what you said is really powerful, man. Like I'm, I'm picturing that scene because I've been in a few situations like that when people have really, for me, been a staple of what it means to be empathetic in a situation where someone might come to you and be like, "Look, this thing has happened, and I know that." Um, here's, here's a, I remember having this conversation, and and here's what really kind of I was just like, "Wow, you, you like you said, you have no idea what that means to me to hear you say that." Yes. If someone came to me and was like, um, I just found out about this thing that's happening in the States and um, are you okay? I was like, Crazy. yo, you know, that is such, a, such a small thing, but it's yes. like they recognize yeah. that there's a connection between me and this story and they yeah. recognize they, that kind of context and just the concept that they'll be willing to ask, am I okay? makes me think to myself, I am the centre of this question. Um, and, and it just it just provided a space where I, I felt more comfortable. I mean, obviously, at that point, I can say yes or no and all that kind of stuff, but it kind of helped me get to a stage where I'm like, do you know what? I'm not okay, actually, and yes. this is really effective. Um, and from then, obviously, you, you're constantly iterating the conversation depending on how people react. 
um, yes. to what you say. But then, you know, you choose to go deeper or further away from, from, from the topic based on how much they're open up. Such a small it's thing. Powerful. But yes. Yeah, no, I, I, and I think, um, yeah, and I wish, so it, it goes back to something I feel that there needs to be, I feel like there needs to be preparation in order for the arenas that we just talk about to happen so just like you've got a football stadium if you want it to be able to accommodate i don't know a hundred thousand people you have to design that room accordingly to fit to the job maybe there needs to be some preparation that needs to happen with their own community and I, I believe as black people we have been doing the work for years we've got a long way to go but we have been doing the work we've had to we've had no choice um for me personally i think my personal desire would be to see more people from the white community do the work and kind of find their own personal journey and find their own way within the community to do their work to then prepare themselves to engage in the conversations with the language. So, for example, if I want to have a conversation with a Japanese person, I need to learn Japanese. Or we need to find a language that we can both speak. Mm. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah. um, um, just, I think just adding on from what you said really quickly before you before you change um, the yeah. topic is just, uh, Another, another frustration, because obviously we're talking about barriers to conversation. One of the other things sure. that can be frustration is that I've seen and heard and experienced situations where a black person will express something and then a white person expresses the same thing and it's only the white person that's listened to. That is something that can add to this ridiculous level of frustration. So yeah. say, for example, I'm talking to, I don't know, arbit insert arbitrary name here. Right, say they have to speak yeah. to this person. I'm like, you know, I got I got pulled over by a police um, uh, when the other day, and they really harassed me. Yeah. Um, and I didn't feel safe in that situation. Um, just because of the attitude they were doing, I complied with everything they're doing, but they just kept raising their voice higher and higher, and I didn't feel safe, and I was really worried and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. then their response might be. Just saying, just saying, their response might be, oh, but what did you do? Or like, um, you know, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff, right? Yes. Switch to, um, switch to the next person comes and talks about my experience with their, with that person, mm -hmm. right? And then they'll be like, oh, did you hear about um, Andre? He got pulled over by a, by a policeman and they got really harassed. Yeah. And then that person might be like, yeah, I just heard. And as they're speaking, they might go into more detail. And then all of a sudden the empathy comes. Or like I've seen situations where... Um, right, okay, the empathy comes what? From the, from the second person or from the person telling the story? Right, okay. So this happened to me. So it's like I'm in a situation where um, I got pulled over by, by a policeman. And um, and I remember speaking to my brother about it as well, and he had similar kind of experiences. And um, luckily, nothing really happened, but I just didn't feel safe in that moment. And usually, I'm not like that. Like the the concept of race doesn't really come into it as much. I feel here for me as it would sure. in to my counterparts in America, for example. But in this situation, I was just very conscious that everything, nothing I was doing was good enough for this officer. Um, and, you know, in that scenario, um, I went um, and spoke to another friend of mine and, and I was explaining it. Well, not, not even a friend of mine, it was a colleague. 
and it came up like a long time afterwards. I was explaining the situation, and they were just very dismissive about it. Oh. Until another counterpart came, and they showed me empathy, and all of a sudden, they showed the first one showed right. me. Empathy. Yes, I understand. Yes. Oh, wait, yes. Why, yes. Why, why couldn't you show me empathy when I was telling you that? Like I'm the source. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, how come the empathy wasn't there when I'm I'm opening up to you about this experience? But then when your boy came, all of a sudden it's like a whole different demeanor. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I don't know. It's just like this weird kind of scenario, which is why I think like there's there's a role to play for um, uh, I guess I don't know one of a better word allies in a similar way. Like I said, I'm always going back to the male female example for me. Like there are certain things that I feel like men have a role to do um, in that conversation about feminism. Like, so for example, with me, one of the things I was speaking to Mariama Oni, who's a Sierra Leonean who had a situation where she was leading a talk about her business and uh, there were men who were basically telling her to, like, what's she doing here? You know, in this arena, like, you know, she should be men, she should be thinking about getting a husband and all that kind of stuff instead. Right. And it was only until another man in the audience stood up and was like, actually, what she's doing is amazing and you need to check yourself. Um, it was only when that man stood up for the woman that the other man had no, no way to turn. And in the same way, in our in conversations, I feel like there need to be white counterparts who are defending or, or like even just um, giving that kind of... Um, um, narrative as well. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. Especially when it comes to an institutional level. Yes. And I think as well, it, to, to add to that, there needs to be a certain level because I tend to find maybe institutionalized being so institutionalized institutionalization can be so ingrained in your behavior you don't even realize it's an institutional behavior you might think it's your own behavior so it's almost you need to have people who are just so observant one of the things that i've definitely learned especially in recent times in my own personal journey for soul seeking in my own personal healing emotionally and stuff like that one thing i was really taught is to observe your behavior and as soon as I started really doing that, you start to see stuff in yourself when it's like, wow, I didn't know this was going on. And so there really needs to be a sense of, because just because it's normal doesn't mean it's right. And especially at this time, I know, especially black, black community, I feel like the conversation is shifted. It's intensified. There's a much more intellectual aspect to what's going on now. And so people, you know, so now we're, we're, it's advanced now. It's not just about don't chase me down the street, don't call me the N-word. There's this whole scientific approach to what's being talked about. And so, but in order to be able to receive that information, you almost have to really be aware of yourself and be observant in this behavior. And so really, is that what I'm doing? And again, the relationship with shame and guilt has to change. So I feel like there needs to be, and I don't know whether that's the role of us to do, I personally would argue, and you know, maybe some people within the community and the wider community has a different opinion. My opinion is that as, as black people who have experienced our hurt, although we are hurting, I do believe there is some, at least to ignite the momentum, I think it's in our interest to really help support, to really open up these discussions around shame and guilt and what that looks like. We almost have to set a tone. I don't know what that looks like, but I really feel that's something that's our task if we wanted the healing that we say that we want to happen. 
But I think as well, we need to, um, which we are doing, is heal ourselves. So um, we, um, within our, there are certain aspects, and, and because we race has been such a big issue for so long, it can be difficult to decipher if it's race or something else, like chicken and egg scenario. Um, is it race or class? Is it race or gender? Is it race or all that kind of stuff? Or is it cross-sectional, like intersectional, sorry? Um, is it a combination of both? Is it the compound interest of all of that that's given you that the physical manifestation of the stress it takes to navigate through this world with all of that on your head? Um, but you have one person who might be going through all of this stuff meets another person who's going through all of this stuff and they fall in love and create two people who are going through all of this stuff. And then they pass it down to a little one who may be going into a world where they might go through all of this stuff. Um, and so a lot of it, I feel like there's, I feel like there's, there's, there's a place for it to be healed within ourselves individually as an individual person. Like, so for us to be asking ourselves questions constantly, seeing how we feel, having emotional intelligence and being aware of where there's stress in our body and being aware of the effect that things are happening outside, how that effect is happening inside. But then also when when we become like in, with our immediate vicinity, our friends, our family, that kind of thing, and then the wider community, and then there's also the conversation with the opposite, or not even opposite, but the other communities as well. Yes. So I feel like there's a space in all of those, but um, they all need to happen. I'm not sure what order they need to be in, yes. but I know for yeah. sure something we can all do is start with ourselves. I agree. I 100% agree because, you know, I, one of the things that I've often felt is it's pointless me trying to know my history and black leaders if it's coming from a place of I feel like I'm playing catch-up just to feel blackness. I feel like I need to be aware of the, it's pointless knowing all my history and dates and, and, tra and dates of significant traumas if I don't even deal with the, the, the demons that I go to bed with and wake up and drive my everyday actions on a daily, day-to-day -day basis. And yes, there is connection between that as well as your own personal, but I definitely think it starts from inside first and then you start to work out. Personally, that's, that's, that's my that's my feel because unless you're centered, unless you find some sense of grounding, it's going to be very difficult to to kind of negotiate all of this kind of muddiness and and because nothing as we've established is straightforward. Is um, there's so many nuances to it, and even we can get lost in all the nuances that if you're not grounded and centered in where you where you're going, we get lost and get distracted and you know it's, it's, a, it's a big task. I think if is is a, a huge word in that sentence though. So, yeah. for example, you might find yourself that learning about those histories will help you in, in finding the grounding in yourself. For example, I know with a lot of people, for example, um, learning about the black contributions, and specifically the Sierra Leonean contributions to history has helped me in terms of navigating the world. Um, yeah, that's a fair comment. That's a fair comment. I, I feel like they go hand in hand. Yeah, that's so, a fair comment. I th actually think one without the other can be just as disruptive. Um, play, yeah, everything plays a part in the picture. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree with that. So, so I think I think I think there's lots of again. I, I feel like there's different scales of this conversation that all could be happening at the same time. But like I said, like we both uh, agree on the, the one thing that we can all do is start with ourselves 
and um, and just focusing on, on our individual, even even our physiological, mental, emotional bodies, getting our intelligence up. Like, how do I feel just now? Like, what is my health level? Like, you know, how do I treat myself? Do I believe I'm worthy? Do I um, all those kind of stuff? Like, asking asking ourselves, and this is something anyone can do. Ask ourselves those questions often and, and try and see patterns like why do i switch to anger when these conversations come up why do i is there a pain point here i feel it in my chest when this conversation comes up and it doesn't happen when other conversations come up so what's the link between that and maybe what's happened in my past which is why i think things like therapy are so useful um with even though sometimes in some communities it's not something that people run to but generally having that kind of outlet and a space to sometimes explore these things even if you don't necessarily get to a solution in that moment um even sometimes you open a can of worms but sometimes that worm don't belong belong in that box in the first place do you know what i mean like that's what i'm saying and if and the thing is there's no weakness in in in, in recognizing there's no weakness in recognizing your your demons or the things that struggle because the way i I, the way the analogy i use for that is a lamborghini in the garage is still a lamborghini you know what I'm saying? You might take off the wheel and change the tire, but it's still a Lamborghini. So yeah. you, you're no less of a person should you go in and acknowledge the fact that these are things that are making you feel imbalanced. We're living in a world where there's all kinds of chaos and imbalance. And yeah. This is human. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. not about... Even even in this journey with this whole kind of building the bridges between races and cultures and stuff, it's not even about you're bad, I'm good. It's that's not the it's it's just how can we understand ourselves, you know? Mm. How could we change the, the narrative? Because equally, you know, white people have been conditioned, but equally as black people living, especially living in this world in society, we've also been victims of these conditions. It's yeah, just manifesting in a different way. Absolutely. So let's let's talk about this boat ride. We're both in it together. You might be in the in the upstairs deck, but I may be in the basement deck. But let's talk. Because we're both in this boat getting rocked about, do you know what I'm saying? And the thing is, uh, again, I genuinely feel both of us, could, both sides can benefit from that conversation because I've also had a situation where I'm speaking to someone who's white and they, they tell me their experience as someone who's like moved to London from Scotland and they're actually really struggling with their identity within their workplace and we sometimes find like some kind of common ground where I'm like okay cool this isn't exactly the same but what you're feeling there is probably similar to an an element of what I'm talking about so let's let's explore that for a second and then I find out about their whole culture behind it and how much pride they had when they're in Scotland but how that's not necessarily the case when they're over here and they might wear a kilt and then get all kinds of backlash from other people and, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that's how I feel when I when I wear my Africana at work on dress down day. Like, like, all this kind of stuff. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then it can lead down a road where you can actually have these kind of conversations. And, and like I said, you can get to a stage where you both learn. And for me, that's, that's where it's where it's at man like we, it's, it's an opportunity for us to hear about and, and and i really don't like the duality concept of good or bad either I, I, it's just different um experiences it's, it's, different it's, now. it's the same thing they're the same because what's good today could be bad tomorrow or what's bad today is good tomorrow because that actually led you to something positive so all of a sudden yeah it's, it's judgment and judgment creates the sorts of addictions that creates the sorts of unhappiness that we're experiencing do you know what i mean so it's just about acceptance of everything yeah, that's mm, right. But listen, Andre, listen, I've hogged up the kitchen and, and pulled my back and I'm not to come in. <laughs> oh, I said, I said, sorry, yeah, it's my fault. It's, 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 it's,
Thank you so much for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it and got some value from it. Um, if you want more info, you can go to www.becomeimmersive.co.uk. That's www.becomeimmersive.co.uk. If you have any questions or queries or you want to just give us a shout out, go to um, becomeimmersive at gmail.com or info at becomeimmersive.co.uk. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. This is The Lion Learns to Write, reclaiming our narrative through identity, empowerment and creativity. So let's do that. Have an amazing day and see you next episode. Peace.